Like a deer in the headlights or gum in your hair, what got you here will not get you there. Join us as business owners get unstuck in real time on the business building struggles we all share. Welcome to the Business Breakthrough Podcast. And here's your host, Esty Rand. Welcome to episode 64 of the Business Breakthrough Podcast. I have got a veteran, expert business guy with us here today, Harry Major. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Esty. It's a pleasure to be here. I am so excited to have you here. Guys, a little bit more about Harry. He is an author and philanthropist whose career has combined family, business, and community. He served as the president of Zep Manufacturing Company, a division of natural service industries for 27 years. All right, as a sales rep, Mr. Major was so successful, he was named the company's first director of sales and he led 2,000 salespeople, yeah, there were three zeros there, who produced double-digit growth for 25 years straight. We want these tips, okay? <laughs> I'm very excited to get them from you. So. Right now, one of his proudest achievements in retirement has been the completion of his book, Story Selling. It's got a very cool cover, actually. So it's like, it says like storytelling, but the T is crossed out, and it says story selling. Um, and he has this book. It is Sage Advice and Common Sense about Sales and Success, a passion project aligned with Harry's mission of inspiring and empowering anyone to pursue their purpose in life and succeed while doing it. It's our kind of guy. So he's been featured in the Atlanta Business Chronicle, Delta Airlines Flight Talk, um, and all sorts of amazing stuff. And Mr. Mazer and his wife, Sherry, treasure their family, three children, eight grandchildren. Mr. Mazer, I'm so excited to talk to you. Well, I'm tired of listening to what you just read, read there. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it's been a great journey. Uh, I love life every day. I try to live it to its fullest. I love it. And, you know, we have so many people on the show, you know, who are of a younger generation. Um, but I personally believe there is so much wisdom in uh, speaking with people like yourself who have been there, who have seen the evolution of the world and who know things other than how to push buttons to make things work. But you know the real wisdom, the real strategies. So before we kick off and learn a little more about your story and your book and your advice, I would love to just pick up one piece about story. You crossed out the T in telling and made it selling. I would love just to kick off, tell me why. What, what was the thought there that we're trying to communicate? Oh, uniqueness, differentiation in sales. I tried to teach for years that there's no such thing as a commodity. You must find a way to differentiate, to be yourself, to be unique. So even with the cover, we try to make it unique and different. Storytelling, everyone has talked about for years, and it's a part of growing up. Every child says, Daddy, tell Mommy, tell me a story. But story selling hopes to indicate to people that stories do sell. It's an effective communications tool. And if you can blend not just facts and figures, not just features and benefits, but if you can blend in a story that's real, that's palpable, that tells the story that you're trying to portray or convey, that's what the book is intended to do. There are 50 stories, each with a definite intent 
Some are about pure sales and some are about motivation. Some are about enthusiasm. Each stands on its own, takes about an hour and a half to read the book. And, and it's an, a fun read, I hope. And it's one that the narrative, each story stands alone. So you don't have to say, where was I? Did I lose my place? You can pick it up anytime and read a story and hopefully gain a lesson from storytelling slash selling. Love it. Absolutely love it. And I think, again, applying that to where we stand today, where attention spans, you know, are less than a second long, um, the whole concept of selling through storytelling, right? And story selling, how you combine that is so smart. Because like you just said, you can put the book down, pick it up, you just read a little story and it's, it's whole in and of itself. And I think when we're trying to sell today, we need a lot more of that. So let's, we're going to come back to this. Um, tell me a little more about your journey, right? You were, you came into sales, you rose up to the top ranks. Now you're just, you know, not able to retire. Tell me a little bit more about this journey that got you to here. Oh, it's a great journey. I was born and raised in Atlanta and always sold something. Coca-Colas from a Coca-Cola stand in my front yard, football colors on football weekends with the, the school's emblem, uh, a little bit sh uh, shoes, shirts, anything for weekend or Saturday jobs as I was coming up. And I uh, did three or four things before I ended up with Zep. I was a brain surgeon. No, no, just kidding. <laughs> a brain surgeon. Uh, but I sold insurance, I worked in the grocery business, I was in the laundry business, and uh, through a brother-in-law who was friendly with the president of then Zep, that was an independent family-owned business at the time, I joined Zep. Zep liked me, I liked Zep. The founder and president and ultimate chairman of National Service Industries, a gentleman by the name of Erwin Zabin, was my boss and buddy and mentor and friend. And we spoke every day for 50 years, and he made me president when I was too young to be president. I was 35 and had a wonderful run and loved it every day. I mean, 2,000 people give you a challenge, plus another 1,000 internal people from manufacturing, distribution, accounting, all the other functions of a business. But the reps are the ones keep you on your toes, men and women. Uh, in a commission-oriented business that, uh, you know, you eat what you kill, and uh, they uh, worked hard with no constraints or restraints, and it was uh, fun and friendly. We didn't take ourselves too seriously, even though we took what we did very seriously. People say, as I, I used to say, selling Zep products is not a life or death matter. It's much more important than that. So, <laughs> so, anyway, we sold industrial maintenance materials, waxes, cleaners, deodorants, disinfectants, insecticides, anything to keep the world cleaner, healthier. And uh, I had the great fortune to have led that company through its international expansion and through its multi-plant locations, uh, a couple in Canada, five in the United States, and uh, 40 plus distribution branches. It was, a, it was a good run and a wonderful experience. Amazing. So I'd love to drill down a little more what it means to recruit and manage a sales team. Um, you know, what it meant for you, because I think so many of our listeners in small business, listen, to, to run a business, as I'm sure you know well, you've got to be able to sell. 
right? Especially when you're kicking something off. But as business grows, you know, some people were never really great at sales and they want to hire it out. And then you've got on the other spectrum, those of us, <clears throat> including myself, who are really good at sales, who are like, well, how can I ever replace me? <laughs> you know, how am I going to find? So talk a little more, what, what did you guys do to recruit, to manage, to train your salespeople in this massive company, which is not selling anything glamorous. It's not selling anything really exciting. Like, I feel like this, if, if we can master this, we can sell anything. Very good questions there, Esty. Uh, salespeople are not born. You don't pick up birth announcements and see born today, a salesperson. You know? <laughs> and it's not that you have to be a song and dance person. You don't have to be uh, filled with personality and telling stories and jokes going against the premise of my book, Story, Story Selling. But the point is, it is a trial and error. It is both an art and a science. You have to be willing to fail. First question I would ask when I interviewed someone is, would I buy something from this person? And if I thought I would, wow, that put them way ahead because there was a certain style, a certain substance, a certain comfort, a certain communications ability to be able to grab and to hold my attention. But you just can't tell someone, okay, now you're ready, go get them. You have an obligation as a business person to prepare that person, not with just the facts and figures, but with the how-tos. The, the, the science part of sales is that there are certain fundamentals that work and you need to teach those fundamentals, be comfortable with those fundamentals, but know that the main reason most salespeople fail is not from product knowledge, but it's from the application of what they know. It's not showing up on time, in time, enough times. It's not be willing, it's not willingness to take no so many salespeople don't ask for the order because they're afraid someone's going to say no. That's right. So they can't be a salesperson then. They Not for long. So if you don't ask, you don't get. The old story, it's not how many times you get knocked down, it's how many times you get back up. So the point is a, a salesperson must have certain components. Obviously, they must know what they're doing. They must have purpose. They must have passion. They must have persistence. They must know that their work will be rewarded. They must believe in their product. If they don't, they really ought to be doing something else. And as I say, this is not rocket science. It's a matter of having a plan. I always joke, success is based on having a plan and not quite enough time to do it. <laughs> because that <laughs> translates into action. And so much of sales is dependent on action. That's, these are such great lines. I, I love these. You know, guys, I want you to all remember, like, what I buy something from this person. That's such a great marker. And I love that having a plan and not quite enough time to do it. Meaning not, not having time to do it, but just not quite enough. That it gives you that little spurt. <laughs> To, to get in there. And in the middle where you said, you know, so many salespeople are afraid to hear a no. I feel like then they're not a salesperson. The essence of sales is you're going to hear no way more than yes. For sure. You just have to know that no means not no. It means not now. You haven't done enough to convince that person that the time is now. 
So you have to go back, dig in, see what did I overlook, and what are you asking that I haven't asked it? Why have I not convinced you of the benefits and merits of this product or service for you and your business? And so don't take now as, uh-uh, it's over. It's just one more little stumbling block or stepping stone, whichever you choose to envision it being. I like stepping stones better than stumbling blocks. I like stepping stone, but where do you draw the line? You know, um, now with online marketing, forget about it. But again, you're, you're from the age of classical direct sales. You're calling, you're going door to door. Where do you draw the line between persistent and harassment? Oh, it's a very good question. And again, there's not a hard and fast rule. You have to listen. So many people don't listen. Many people, the only reason they listen is because they know it's their turn next. You know, <laughs> not a good reason to be a listener. But if you sense that the, the prospect or the customer is impatient, is saying that's enough, whether he says it directly or not, then you know it's time to fold your book and say, look, yeah, I'll be back in 30 days. I want to bring this to your attention. In the meantime, I'm going to leave you this little brochure or you'll send a follow-up note or email or whatever to that person to let them know it's not over. It just wasn't now. And the point is no hard and fast rule. But interestingly, Esty, I think more people err on the other side of being persistent. One of the stories in the book is about a sales manager who was concerned that his salespeople were really only getting one line item on the orders they were writing. So he says, I think I will do a little experiment. So he took a hundred dollar bill and he visited some leading department stores and went to a counter where there were 20 and $30 items, fully committed that he would buy an item and whatever the sales person at the counter recommended that he buy, he would continue buying until he spent his entire hundred dollars. And he went to two or three department stores and he said, is that enough? He went to a half a dozen specialty stores with the same premise, buy a $20, $30 item with a hundred dollar bill, convinced that he would spend the entire hundred dollars if the salesperson would just suggest that he buy something else. Not once did he spend the entire hundred dollars. Now, wow. what does that say? It says too often salespeople quit selling before the buyer quits buying. So when someone says, I'll take something good, thank you very much. And by the way, we've got a special this week on blank, blank, blank. Good. This, okay, good. Send me some of those. Are you through then? Shouldn't be. You should say, and you know, I forgot to mention blah, blah, blah. And this week, the fact that you've bought two items, you can get this third one with a 10% discount. Okay, I'll take it. Is he ready to go? He shouldn't be because he doesn't know if the buyers quit buying until he asks again. And the buyer says, no, I think that's enough. Fine. Now you know. But don't leave on a yes. Leave on a no. But a proper no. That is so interesting. I, I find that, first of all, brilliant. And at the same time, so contrary to so much of what's out there now with like the soft selling and don't bother people. And, you know, like, I guess the attitude of people are so afraid of being pushy, you know, that, that they, they do quit always while they're still in the yes phase. And, and we could say, like you said, people are afraid of hearing no. 
Um, but they're afraid of being pushy. They're afraid of being taken as a salesperson. but we're all in sales at some level. Absolutely. From the time you get up in the morning till you go to bed at night, you're selling, you're engaging, you're encouraging, you're negotiating, you're convincing, you're doing something that has a sales base to it. No question about it. And, you know, there's a difference between pressure and persistence. And again, a good salesperson perceives that difference. And you don't want to make people mad and you don't want to be the old high pressure, tell you what I'm going to do, salesperson. That's gone. That's gone. Now you're a counselor. Good salespeople don't sell. They help people buy. And this so many good lines. Good salespeople don't sell. They just help people buy. I'm just helping you buy stuff. I'm not selling anything. I'm just helping you buy stuff. Just, just give me a hand over here. Buy, and you help them buy by, by again, knowing your business, knowing its true application to their needs, making sure they understand how to use it, follow up after the sale, integrity, not some of the time, all of the time. Selling is a trick, but it isn't trickery. And there's really a difference. I love that. I always say marketing is manipulation, but manipulation is not bad. It means to form. You can use it for bad, but you can use it for good. And I, I'm going to use your line too. Selling is a trick, but it's not trickery. So, so what are some of the tricks? No, I have another question I want to ask before that. I want to get to that. But first, I want to know a little more. What was it like managing that many people? What, did you have like a very, very organized process? That, that's a lot of people to oversee. What, what did you do to make that work? Well, when I was doing this, it was before the internet and all of the simple tools that are available today for communications. But we were ahead of the curve. We produced videos where we would tell stories. We would bring a sales rep in who had a unusual sale, and then we would distribute them uh, airmail to all the branches and they would uh, play them on old fashioned little DVRs or whatever. <laughs> we also, uh, I wrote a sales letter every week for 27 years. And wow. the first page of that sales letter was a story. Wait, and every week for, t I don't want to interrupt you, but I just, <laughs> the, the intensity of that every week for 27 years. Most people can't even say that they brush their teeth with that level of consistency. <laughs> uh, that's true, but, but that's amazing. Consistency is, is part of success. There's no question. And the first page was a story of so ideally motivational. The second page was usually something happening around Zeppelin, a price increase, a product introduction, a discontinuation, or whatever. And each letter ended with a little box at the end with a Harry's Hint tagline. And in it was a little adage, a little saying, some I would make up, some I stole off of church bulletin boards, some <laughs> I you know, just found somewhere and amended or modified. You know, little catchy phrases. I've used two or three with you today, like selling is a trick, but it isn't trickery. Right. But the, the point is, the reps used to always joke with me, Harry, I don't read those first couple of pages of junk, but I just go right to the hints. That's the most <laughs> important thing. You know, hints like, uh, I must do something will always solve more problems than something must be done. 
Or hence like uh, the safest gamble of all is to take a chance on yourself. Or fight truth decay. <laughs> oh my gosh, or, I want to frame that one on my wall. Okay. Fight oh. truth decay. Oh my gosh, that's so good. That's when so you put good. a limit on what you will do, you put a limit on what you can do. Just hints like that, that sort of gave them uh, motivation, a smile, and uh, you know, they, they loved them for years. Uh, the thing to try when all else fails is, again, uh, oh, I'm a quote obsessed. Yeah. I, I love every single one of these. I actually have an entire um, binder, not, not even on the computer, just old school with paper. Hundreds of my favorite quotes. Motivate. I feel like I would have saved every one of your newsletters for all 27 years just for that quote at the bottom. Put it in the my title back. of every chapter is a Harry's hint, and the chapter content expands on the theme of that hint. So the uh, table of contents is a list of 50 of those those wonderful hints. And uh, again, it was fun. We also had sales meetings. I believed and still do in relationships. The old story is that people, when all things are equal, people want to buy from their friends. When all things aren't equal, people still want to buy from their friends. So make friends. Another story from the book. I was at the University of Florida in a moment of despair. It was the first time I'd been away from home. I sent a telegram. You remember telegrams to my father. Uh -huh. <laughs> Dear dad, am without money or friends love Harry. He immediately sent a telegram back. Dear Harry, make friends. Love dad. <laughs> <laughs> he was not a sales manager, but he couldn't have given me better sales advice than to make friends. Relationships are critical. It, I, I usually joke, it takes a long time to make an old friend. Well, <laughs> it takes a long time to make an old customer or a relationship or client and you have to work at it and you have to do those things that you would expect them to do to you. That's how you do it. What the old golden rule do unto others, you know, as you would have them do unto you. There was a, there's a 10 rule too, that you may know SD. The 10 rule is do unto others, then get out. <laughs> <laughs> but then there is a platinum rule yeah. that even surpasses the golden rule. And it says simply, do unto others as they would have you do unto them. And there's Got a different perspective there. Treat people like they want to be treated, not necessarily like you want to be treated. Think in terms of others. We had sales letters. We met with every, I was in front of every one of those salespeople twice a year, June and December. I was gone the entire months visiting every salesperson so that they could talk, ask a question, have lunch with whatever the two day meeting involved. They had access to the senior management of our company and they felt part and parcel of what we did. Was it tough? Was it hard? Did you get complaints you never anticipated or wanted or should never have gotten to you? Yes, but it was also effective. It's the only way a leader can hear the pulse of the community. The day I became president, an old salt sent me a little note, said, congratulations, Harry, today you're president. You will never hear the truth again. 
you are full of so many good lines. But I think that this is so important because very often, especially in small business, we're so focused on the client and the customer acquisition that people forget to focus on their team management. Um, sometimes they they don't have very good teams because of that. And uh, I think this idea, again, we're teaching it as sales to the outside. I love how you called it the tin rule, like as in like cheap aluminum, um, do onto others and get out. You know what it reminds me of? Um, they say a good friend will give you the shirt off their back, but a great friend will go get you a clean one. Ah, I love that. See, here we go. <laughs> I we'll told the you next book together. Book. The next book we will go author. <laughs> I'll pull out my book of quotes so we have chapter titles. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. So the whole idea of doing this for your staff, right? Not just treating them how you want to be treated, but treating your staff as they would want to be treated, building that relationship with them. Like you're saying, you're visiting them. No matter how big your team is, everyone's got the bandwidth to have some level of personal connection with the people Absolutely. that they directly manage. Very important, critical to success of an organization. You know, the old story, um, happy wife, happy life. You know, yeah, I've heard that. Try to tell my husband. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> happy employees make for happy customers because there's an attitude and an enthusiasm that's just critical to those relationships. And so treat your customers fairly, treat your employees fairly, and success will be yours. For sure. I know people sometimes ask me because my team is all virtual. I actually don't have anyone in person in my office. Everyone's remote. Um, mm -hmm. Our clients are all over the world. Our staff is all over the world. And he'll say to me, but what about the relationship? I said, I have a relationship with my staff because I care about them. I know. I may not know what's going on day to day because I don't see them, but I know what's going on in their lives. I know if they're moving. You know, I've had people who've had staff. They didn't even know if they were moving houses. How could you not know someone's moving house? Oh, no, that's so important. There's, a, there's an old story that says people don't care. They don't worry about how much you know. They want to know how much you care. Yeah. And there's a big difference in what you know and what you care. And you don't need to tell everything you know to people. But they do need to know that you care about them, their business. How, do, how does it affect them? And you know, people think in those me terms, and you want to make sure that you're you're portraying and delivering your message in the terms of others. Always. So that's a lot about the relationship management, and I love it. In terms of training, right? And again, that's the ongoing training you're sending out videos, which I think was genius. You know, now with with the online, people could send a weekly email to their team, an internal email, weekly training videos, or, or seasonal, whenever they come up. In terms of the, what we'd call onboarding sequence, how, how did you get the people trained to begin with? You know, a stranger comes into the company and these are commission-based employees. How did you get them excited at that beginning? How did you get them set up to go sell? We used videos and we had a training school. Every rep in the first 30 days they were employed came to one of three central locations and we had a training director and top reps would come in that we compensated for their time to do that. And so they had the real hands-on tactile experience of people who were out doing it. The first two weeks, someone rode with them in their car. We had field sales managers who also had their own accounts, but as a part of their responsibility was to supervise, manage others 
on whom they received an override for their success. So they, they got compensated for that. So they had skin in the game. It was in their best interest to make Esty as successful as she could be because they got a participation in her success. And it didn't come out of your commission. It was an additional commission that the company paid. So there wasn't a conflict that old Harry's riding with me and he's going to take part of my commission for riding with me today. Not at all. So the combination of printed materials, video learning experiences, and an actual training school where people were told, talked about products, they were talked about uh, the history of who we were, why we were, and they were also taught sales techniques and those techniques that were tried and proven and they were zapperized. That's what we did. We zapperized them. I love it. So how would a small business apply? Because again, a small business isn't going to have those kinds of resources. You know, my um, my specialty, I work with companies anywhere between a solopreneur and about 20 to 30 employees. You know, so a, an enterprise that small, how could they implement this to onboard a salesperson or, or salespeople? More challenging and more difficult, of course. You know, uh, success begets success. And that's an old story and it's a true one. But no one is too small not to take a personal interest in those sales reps. No one is too small not to follow up and talk with those people at night. How'd your day go? The good, the bad, and the ugly of your day. No one is too small to get out and make an occasional call with that person. They can't ride in the car for a week or two because they've got to keep the lights on and the, and the, the stove lit. But the point is, through... Today, it's, I think, easier in certain ways because of the internet and because of the communication opportunities that are now available that weren't available 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. But training small sales forces is a very difficult thing. I was the first and am still an active uh, executive in residence at Kennesaw, Kennesaw State University here in Atlanta. And we have a center for professional selling there. Kennesaw is one of a double handful of schools in the country that offers a four-year degree in professional selling. And the point is, what does that small business do that can't afford training directors and people to do the things that a large company can do? There are very few resources. I mean, they're the Dale Carnegie courses, not to make light of them, but there are not many outreach programs that make people better salespeople. So what you're doing with your consulting and showing them how and why is critical to that small business, no doubt about it. But it is difficult, but it can be done. You need to make sure you communicate with them morning, noon, and night whether it be emails, whether it be letters, whether it be Twitter, I, I, I don't care what, you've got to stay in front of your reps and you've got to be accessible. So many people build barriers that shouldn't be built. And if you're not willing to be, you know, I, salespeople that won't put their home number on their card, they can't work for me. If you're not going to be accessible to your customers, the most important thing of a business, any business, is not return on sales or return on assets. It's simply to please your customer. That's where success starts. And for that person, that rep is his internal customer. 
And if you don't please that customer and answer his or her questions and be responsive and be enthusiastic and be supportive, shame on you. you in, you're entitled to lose those people. Selling is difficult. You know, with all of our sophisticated programs, if we could keep one out of three, we did backflips. We just knew that it's a high-risk business and that many people were not going to make it. They were uncomfortable. They, they couldn't make those calls. They, were, they couldn't follow up on leads. They didn't have the discipline. Again, if I had to give you two words that I think are the watchwords of success, they are self-discipline. You must have the commitment to get up, to get out there, to continue learning, to lick your wounds, to keep going when so many people don't. And that takes discipline. And so few people have it. So is that what we look for? Because again, like, like you're saying, it is much harder on a smaller scale. And I like how, you know, you explain to pare it down, right? Take the same kind of principles, the availability, the shadowing, the communication, the availability. And a lot of small business owners, they hire someone, they're like, okay, go, good luck. You do sales. And no, you got to be there for them. You got to support them. You got to train them in whatever they do need training in and guide them. Um, what? What should people look for? Because again, in, in a big business, like you said, if you keep one out of three, you're thrilled. In a small business, if you keep one out of three, you're broke. Right? <laughs> like you, we can't afford to do that. So what would give people the best, best bet? Right? And again, like you just said, resilience and the ability to keep going and all of that. But you know, you, someone doesn't walk into an interview and you say to them, well, do you have the ability to keep going? They say, sure. <laughs> I was going to say, no. What should someone look for when they're hiring? Well, I liked competitiveness. What had that person done before? Did they play high school or college athletics? Were they Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts? And were they an Eagle Scout? Is there some success in their background that shows stick to Does it show resolve? you have to be careful in employment decisions. You know, we also used industrial psychologists and we had tests that we would administer to people. And even with that, as I said, if we kept one out of three, we were doing well. So the smaller company that has more limited resources, it is a more difficult challenge. No question. Don't be too quick. Don't, if the person's not right, that person is wrong. There's no honorable middle ground and you have to don't hire out of desperation. Don't hire and say, I've got to have somebody. Those are costly mistakes. You have to be deliberate. You have to just make as sure as you can that this person fits. They fit psychologically. They fit energetically. They fit motivationally. They fit aspirationally. They want to be successful and they're willing to do that. And you challenge them, you know, what would you do in this case? What would you do in that case? And if they don't pass that test, if you wouldn't buy from them, don't employ them in sales. Love it. Love it. This is gold. This is, you know, again, platinum. <laughs> this, is, this is amazing. So what are you up to now? You, you, you've had a long journey now. You said you can't manage to retire. So what, what is it that you're involved with these days? Well, I'm still doing work at Kennesaw State University. I still serve on a couple of for-profit boards and 
countless not-for-profit boards, three or four I've had the good fortune to have led some some of the local organizations here, and you you never get away. Once you're in, you're there. So I do do some not-for-profit stuff as well. My son-in-law, I have three grown children, uh, an attorney, a businessman, and a daughter who uh, uh, married a fella who ended up in the car business. And when he got sort of uh, bounced around a time or two from dealers who had promised him equity positions uh, about 20 or so years ago, I said, Hal, I'm in a position to help us find our own little store. And we found a little store and he's built it into, at one time we had 12 brands. We now still have four rooftops and six or seven uh, automobile brands. So I'm in the carbon. So if you need a car, Esty, I know where you can get a good deal. Okay. <laughs> but they're all in Atlanta. You're going to ship it over <laughs> to LA. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's true. So I kind of helped to manage that, uh, that car business from a stand off position. I don't want them to know I can sell cars. They'll have me working on weekends. Okay. So, <laughs> but anyway, that the car business, the not-for-profit business, and uh, a couple of for-profit boards and Kennesaw State University of what keeps me busy today. And I love it. And, and now this book launch, you really can't retire. <laughs> no, no, no. The book has done well. I'm, I'm kind of pleased. I did not intend it as a profit motive. And, and in the introduction, I say, in an effort to pay it forward for all those people who have helped me through the years, I plan to give half of any profits from this business to charity. And then I said, make that 49%. A good salesperson is always in control. <laughs> <laughs> and then I said, oh, what the heck? Let's give it all to charity. So the couple of royalty checks that I've already received and any additional ones will all go to charity. So it's fun to do that. And it's, as I say, it was never intended as a profit endeavor. That's fantastic. So, so let's talk. Now, you, you know, you're at a place in career where I feel like so many people at, at my age, we look to that. Like, I dream of a retirement like yours, right? Like, I, I have no intention. I can't imagine retiring. I tried not working for, you know, a month that lasted about two and a half weeks. <laughs> it didn't work for me. Um, at this stage, what are the struggles that you face? When you, it's almost like you're over the hill of all of the biggest challenges, you know, in that place where you can really reflect and enjoy and do what we might call passion projects. What struggles appear at this stage of the game? Putting. Okay. <laughs> I'm so glad you say that. You know, I, I feel like some of the people are listening are waiting for you to say nothing. I'm just breathing easy, you know, enjoying all my philanthropy. And I, I love that you say that. Okay. So, so give even me when I hit the greens in regulation, I three putt. What can I tell you? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I am, I am fortunate. I feel good. I'm energetic. I have enough to do. I've got a wife I've been married to happily forever. And uh, again, great children and grandchildren, as you introduced at the beginning of the program. Uh, but you must do something and you can't put it off till tomorrow. Urgency is critical. Can I, can I tell you one more story? Yeah, I love stories. I, I love the story of the, I'll even ask it in the form of a question. Three frogs were sitting on a log and one decided to jump off. How many are left on the log? Zero. 
<laughs> no, most people would say two. If three were on the log and one decided to jump off, how many would be left? Most people would say two. They would. But the correct answer is three. Because one decided to jump off doesn't mean it jumped off. Uh, okay, I was taking that in a different direction. Yeah, okay, we okay. decide to lose weight. We decide to work harder. We decide to quit smoking. But it doesn't mean anything until you do it. And so you just got to do it. Didn't Nike say, just do it? <laughs> Harry says, just do it now. Add urgency to it, to everything you do. So the fact that you decide is not the answer. Winning is beginning. So you've just got to get started. I like that. I once saw a quote that said, beginning is half. I've had that on my wall for a oh, long time. Oh, that's true. That's, that's terrific. Yes, we are going to co-author the next one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Told you I love these things. But that it's so true. The, the, the just getting started, that's half the battle. For sure. For sure. I love it. The most difficult step you make is the one across the door threshold in the morning. Yeah. That's getting, that's getting started. That's it. Love it. Okay. So you told me that there are struggles at this stage, but you didn't yet tell me what they are. Oh, again, struggles. Just one even. One that... I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say one that you think um, people who are in business now could relate to, could learn from... I think the struggle that many people face and many businesses face is summed up again with a simple saying, good enough instead of good. Okay. Some people sell themselves short. Too many people do. And they say, this is good enough. It's not good enough. You can't stay still. You're either waxing or waning. You're getting better or you're regressing. So again, a struggle that every business faces every day is improvement constant, continuous improvement, being better tomorrow in everything you do, in your relationships, in your awareness, in your responsiveness, in the appearance of your business, a dozen things that you can do better. Good enough is not good. I like that. See, I got another one for you, a mirror quote. Life is a downward escalator. If you're not going up, you're going down. Oh, that's true too. Yeah. I like I, these visuals. I had a friend. Um, I so what have, should someone do then? What what should someone do? Because I, I do hear that. And and I think again, it happens also in small business where I've seen it with my clients, where you're pushing, you're pushing, you're pushing, you're pushing, and then you get somewhere. You're like, oh, I got somewhere. You know, and people they get complacent there because because it was good enough. So what does someone do to get out of that? Well, you know, success is a journey, not a destination. So again, you get out of that with that self-discipline and that self-motivation and the fact that good enough is not good and that success is a journey. It is a continuing journey, being better tomorrow than you are today by continuing to learn, by continuing to improve procedures, by being more sensitive to the needs of your internal and external customers. Again, all of those things that are so critical to success are there if you'll just use them and realize 
that there are no shortcuts. Easy Street's a blind alley. Ooh, ah, oh, so many good lines. Easy Street is a blind alley. I love all of these. That's such, that's such a great point um, to wrap on. So where can people go to get your book and to check you out? Oh, thank you. I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> <laughs> and if I hadn't, you would have found a really good, sweet, subtle way to get it in anyways. But of course. Story selling is available at some Barnes and Nobles, but always uh, available on Amazon. And uh, uh, it's uh, uh, easily read, as I said earlier. So, or if people want to contact me, it's harrymazur at gmail.com. But again, Amazon is probably the go-to source for most people who bought the book to this point. Amazing. So what we'll do guys at sdran.com slash 64, we're going to put out the link to the story selling over on amazon.com. Harry, this has been so great. Thank you so much for joining me today. Well, Esty Rand, it's been my pleasure. It, you're a delight. And I'm sure that you're helping lots of folks. And if I can help you help them, I've had a good day. Thank you so Aww. much. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for all of you listening. So go to sdran.com slash 64, check out the resources, check out the book and reviews, please. As I've been telling you, give me your feedback. Tell me what you love. Tell me what you love more. Someone actually gave me some feedback. They wanted to know if we could create a downloadable from the episodes because so many of you listen to podcasts while you're on the run, while you're doing dishes, while you're driving, and you're like, oh, I should remember that. Oh, I want to write that down. And even if you check out the show notes, so like you look at it, you don't. Someone said to me, Esty, can you make something I could download? Like a checklist, you know, the top takeaways from the episode because each one's got so much good stuff. So guys, tell me on the reviews. You want a downloadable? I'll make it for you. You just got to let me know. So head over to iTunes. Let me know. You want a downloadable? It's yours. We'll even do it backwards starting from this episode. All right. And we will catch you next week. You've been listening to the Business Breakthrough Podcast with SD Rand. If you're looking for a breakthrough in your business, reach out at sdrand.com slash breakthrough to be a guest on the show. Everyone's got a business struggle. What's yours? 